I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color. How do you like that? The fault, dear Buddhist, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. Good luck. We care about your world. Stay tuned. My guest is Marguerite Mary Rigolosio. She's the foremost authority on the history of virgin birth. She's a scholar and priestess and has taught graduate and undergraduate courses in both the U.S. and the U.K. She's the founding director of the Seven Sisters Mystery School, which is dedicated to restoring knowledge about the sacred feminine and empowering people on their own spiritual journeys. And she's the author of The Cult of Divine Birth in Ancient Greece, Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity, and her most recent book that we'll be talking about today is The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, Mary and the Lineage of Virgin Births. Marguerite, welcome to the Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much, Tony. I really appreciate being here. I'm very excited about this conversation. So I would love to find out more about you and how you got onto this path, and about your own personal experience in this realm. But first, I think it'd be best for you to tell us what miraculous conception is, and the different ways that it can occur. Yes, exactly. Miraculous conception is sort of a (laughs) catch-all for various techniques that women, I've discovered, that women have used over the centuries and thousands of years to conceive children in special ways. The ultimate purpose of it is to bring forth a very high-level being that is understood cannot necessarily come through the regular channels of sexual intimacy between a man and a woman. This is in order to bring in an especially high-level, high-functioning, and superpower type of individual, ideally to help the planet, although it has been misused. And so there are various ways over the thousands of years that I discerned that women have done this practice and that the earliest kind was what we call parthenogenesis, which basically means she conceives within herself without male sperm. And there are rites and rituals associated with each of these things that 
women trained for for years and years and years to be able to accomplish this. The first phase, she would give birth to herself, essentially. It's almost like a replica of herself, although it's, you know, an egg. One of her eggs kind of divides, and it's a daughter. A later phase of that is she's able to create a son. And then in the later phase, the women, the priestesses, started interacting with beings on the other side of the veil, you know, interdimensional beings, we might say, and having impregnations through those means. First, these impregnations were cultivated and welcomed, and then there were beings who came in and took over or essentially raped the girls doing this, and this is where we hear all the stories of the rapes of the maidens in ancient Greek mythology. So that was to seed different types of bloodlines onto the planet that these beings had agendas about. And then in a much later stage of this, the conception moves from being with a disembodied male being on the astral plane to a physical human male who's perhaps a priest or a king who is able to embody the spirit of the god, physically impregnate the woman, and it's considered a divine child, but then the male line takes these children and does their own bidding with it. And this is what we see in the Egyptian tradition, which is how the pharaohs came to be born. So that's kind of a nutshell version of what miraculous birth is and the various phases that it went through with the women practicing deep ritual around this to be able to accomplish these things in a seemingly counter-biological way. It all sounds so utterly fascinating. And, mm-hmm. and I can just hear people wondering, well, what is the source of all this information? Where are you getting all of this from? Right. So when I started, I didn't plan on researching virgin birth. I initially wanted to research priestesses of ancient Greece and have that be my dissertation, like coding and recording every single mention of priestesses in ancient Greece and finding out what they were up to. Some of that work had already been started by other scholars, but I wanted to do a comprehensive catalog. And before I really jumped into that, two things happened. One is I received a flash of insight one day standing in my brother's then apartment in Brooklyn, where I received, as I was reading something about Demeter and Persephone, and this particular author from Sicily was saying, well, you know, this is a parthenogenetic birth, Persephone coming from Demeter, and Zeus, who's the traditional god who impregnates or rapes, you know, Demeter was not even involved. And there was some way in which she was describing this, and I just had one of those experiences that maybe some listeners may have had, maybe you have had occasionally, Tonia, where you have a flash of insight. You have a sense of deep knowing. And my sense was like, oh my goodness, women were actually doing this on planet Earth. So I was kind of holding that in my heart. And then I also saw in a writing of an esoteric writer, Drunvalo Melchizedek, who claims to channel the god Thoth from Egypt. And there are various people on the planet who access that god and his information stream. And he writes about in his book, The Ancient Secret of the Flower of Life, that the god Thoth told him, among many, many other things, that virgin birth was a real thing, that Mary did do it, and he says a few things about it, but he doesn't go any further with that. So those things were kind of rolling around in the back of my mind as I started this 
priestess cataloging project for my dissertation. But as I started cataloging the information, I realized that things that were being described revealed an entire never-before-seen cult of divine birth that was going on, a practice that was going on throughout ancient Greece, going all the way back into so-called mythological and legendary time, all the way into present time, with people like Plato and Alexander the Great and Pythagoras, who were said to have been born in this way through their mothers and others. And so I then was able to amass historical claims. I was able to amass legendary claims, and I was able to amass mythological claims. Sometimes I would have to put my interpretive lens, my interpretive scholarly lens on and read into what I was seeing and discerning and collecting from all these Greek stories. And I basically had to theorize and I was able to put together this whole comprehensive picture that nobody had really ever put together before. And of course, as I was doing it the whole time, I was thinking of Mother Mary And then I located her gospel that the Catholic Church rejected on some level. They didn't consider it a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they used it as the basis for their feast days regarding Mary and her mother Anne. And when I started looking in that infancy gospel and I applied all the knowledge and research I had done, decoding the symbols that were plain in the ancient Greek tradition to what was being written in that gospel, I realized, oh my goodness, this gospel is giving us the codes of what Mary was doing as well. So it's been a kind of comprehensive left brain, right brain, intellectual research, inductive and deductive. Deductive is you start with a theory and then you look for evidence to support it. And inductive is you find a whole bunch of this information and then you create a theory out of it. I was kind of doing both at the same time. And I was using my intuition because I would get intuitional flashes of knowing that then I would have to go prove through the literature. So I had cartloads of books coming back and forth through interlibrary loans, through the California Institute of Integral Studies, where I did this doctoral work. And I was busy for months on end, sifting through all these ancient sources and applying a deeply, what you might call hermeneutical application of my intellect to what I was reading. Well, I definitely want to get into that gospel of the birth of Mary. But first, I want to go into some of the history of divine conception and also about the lineages of this tradition of this practice of divine conception as a very advanced spiritual practice that, as you say, dates back to antiquity. Yes. So, You know, much of what I'm saying applies to Mary, and that's eventually what we're going to get to, as you're saying. But in ancient Greece, the women who were connected with this tradition congregated in certain priestesshoods, for example, mainly focused on what were themselves considered the virgin mother goddesses or the parthenogenetic goddesses. Sometimes these goddesses would even be called Parthenos, meaning virgin. And so the priestesshoods of Artemis were famously, what I discern, connected to divine birth practices. And there are various names of the so-called nymphs of Artemis, which is really a term for these priestesses, 
of divine birth, who there are, you know, many mythological stories of how they were involved with virgin birth. Sometimes they would end up lapsing and they would get involved with male gods and this would anger Artemis and anger her priestesses and either they were killed or their children were killed or the perpetrator posing as Dionysus was killed or whatever. So these are like really strong, you know, virgin mother goddesses. We see evidence of priestesses of Athena. Again, going back to North Africa, this Athena cult really came out of North Africa and the warrior women of North Africa. And this is the tradition in which Medusa was, who was an actual historical priestess, not a mythological figure. Priestesses associated with Hera, I find evidence that these women were virgin birth priestesses. And then, famously, priestesses associated with the two main oracle, most famous oracle centers of the ancient world, where these women would serve as the psychics of the time, Dodona being the oldest one, where the priestesses, their names were Peleades, meaning doves, but that name also connected them to the Pleiades. So there's an implication that these priestesses were connecting with and communicating with the Pleiades as the seven mothers of the world, because there is a story that the Pleiades themselves were involved in ancient seedings of the human race itself, and that these were interdimensional star women and star beings who could give virgin birth but got caught up in various being forced or raped by some of the male interdimensional beings. And then many traditions around the world have the belief that the Pleiades are our mothers and that we humans are founded out of Pleiadian DNA and so forth. So these priestesses at Dodona who were giving prophecy, who were called the Pleiades essentially, there are all those stories around Dodona of some of the priestesses. You always look at the names of the places, the names of the mountains, the cities, the streams, the lakes, and that's what we have there. The names of these beings, these people, were either women who gave birth parthenogenetically or through Congress with male gods, or the names of their children who were born that way. Ditto in Delphi, the most famous of the ancient oracle places. And there, again, all of the place names have stories about these priestesses, and some of them were willingly impregnated by the god Apollo at that point. Some of them tried to escape his clutches and so on. So these are some of the lineages that you see in ancient Greece, and then moving on into historical times where there are historical references in Plutarch and so forth and so on of the fact that Pythagoras' mother, Pythias, gave birth to him through an astral sexual encounter with Apollo. That's a form of virgin birth. Plato's mother, Perictione, same thing. She had an astral encounter with Apollo. And then Olympias is an interesting story. The mother of Alexander, the so-called Greek, she had Congress with Zeus in his form of Zeus Amon, so his Egyptian form. This is where we see the bleed-through between Egyptian lineages and practices and priestesshoods and Greek practices and priestesshoods. And famously, there were all of these stories about, was Alexander divinely born or not? The Delphic Oracle, in a reading, confirmed that she was impregnated that way. So sometimes we have positive children who come out of these experiences.
experiences like Plato and Pythagoras. Sometimes we have negative, what I would consider negative ones, Alexander the Great, who basically marauded over the whole entire known world at the time in the European basin. And then we have going back into mythology, which I believe is not mythology, but is recording actual histories of events and people. We have Theseus, Perseus, and Heracles. All three of these men were born divinely by their mothers who had these kinds of, again, rape seduction experiences, astral experiences with primarily in those cases Zeus. There's question marks as to who these Olympian gods really were. You know, were they gods or just kind of marauding interdimensional beings that told us they were gods? <laughs> but Theseus, Perseus, and Heracles wreaked great havoc on the planet. Theseus abducted Helen of Troy for the first time before she even became involved with Paris, which was another kind of appropriation of her. I haven't written about this yet, but it's clear that she was a divine birth priestess from adolescence or childhood. Heracles, his so-called labors, he's a complicated character because he may be an amalgam of different figures, but suffice it to say that there was a being divinely born called Heracles, and some of what he did on the planet was basically to cut down women's power and the matriarchy. If you look at all of his 12 labors, at least seven of them I talk about in Virgin Mother Goddesses of Antiquity, was to destroy the matriarchy. And then Perseus was the hapless, divinely born son of Danai, raped by Zeus. And then they were put in a kind of conundrum where in order for her to retain her virgin priestesshood status, the king who wanted to be with her wanted Medusa's head. So you see the plot thickens in that Medusa, being this virgin birth queen of North Africa, is then what her son had to go and obtain and cut the head off of. So as this practice started degenerating, these women and the cultures started degenerating themselves, and the divine birth you know, became used for all sorts of different things, which is why Mary is so remarkable, because in the middle of the height of the Roman Empire, which was a problematic foundation on virgin birth with Rhea Silvia giving birth to Romulus and Remus, Rome was really degenerating. And in the midst of all that, Mary was able to go back to the highest form of divine birth, parthenogenesis, and give birth to the highest level avatar that the earth has ever seen. So that's a little historical context. That was wonderful. Could you tell us about some of the more recent examples of divine or parthenogenic conception and birth? Yes. I talk about this a little bit in my book, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception. So in modern times, and again, I mentioned this briefly, but the person who talks more about this particular story more extensively is named Den Poitras. And he wrote a book that came out a few years ago called Parthenogenesis, Women's Long-Lost Ability to Self-Conceive. He talks about a woman who goes by the pseudonym of Lori, and he knew Lori personally for a number of years. He was privy to her story when it was happening. And the short story of it is that Lori was a very advanced spiritual woman. She was kind of almost, if you will, a throwback to ancient Lemuria in that she was able to live as a breatharian on just water 
and strained grape juice without losing weight. She was not anorexic or anything like that. She had a very high level of spiritual understanding, really centered in love and her heart. And she was a natural healer. And through these years of cultivation of these processes and practices, she wasn't specifically cultivating divine birth, but on the night of, believe it or not, Christmas Eve in, I think it was 1974, she had the experience of a flash of light and a supernatural presence telling her that she had conceived because of her virtue. And so she went through the pregnancy. It seems to me that there was a little bit of medical tampering into her situation. I think they kind of got wind of what was happening, and they suddenly were wanting to test her in this way and that way, and she gave birth to the child. Now, at this point, after the announcement of the pregnancy, Den was not physically with her. He was with her before that, but, you know, she, this was through letters, and I have those letters. It's fascinating. So he was not with her during the pregnancy, but she not only had a little bit of funny business going on with the medical establishment, but on the positive side, through a series of synchronicities, she was led to a Hopi elder, literally like in the middle of the desert in the Southwest, who said, you know, hello, little mother, I've been waiting for you. And he said that he had been waiting for her and that he could die after he connected with her. And he affirmed that she was divinely pregnant. She did then give birth to the child, but it only lived three months. And he doesn't know anything more than that. She basically stopped communication with him after that. And it's remained a painful topic. He hasn't been in communication with her. I think perhaps aside from a couple of phone calls where she won't discuss the topic, it brings up very, very painful memories. And I've been trying to be in touch with her, but I respect her privacy around that. So that's one example. There's another example of a woman in Mexico. I know her personally. I met her after she had become pregnant. I was with her at least once or twice during her pregnancy. And then I saw her child online, and her story was different from Lori. She was contacted by the god Quetzalcoatl in Mexico, and she had a series of dramatic synchronistic events and encounters that resulted in an impregnation and the actual birth of this child who lived three years. And then two Junes ago, he literally choked on a grape in front of her and died. And you see, this is what happens. These children, the vibration of the planet is not ready. And so they're not going to full adulthood. And in that experience, this particular woman received that night tremendous communications from him about what had happened and why, and it was his time, and then he needed to go. And he gave her extraordinary teachings about the nature of reality, the nature of the universe, and so forth. And there are other stories that I've heard of, and I'm sure there are other stories that I don't know. And there may well be stories of the occult use of divine birth for negative purposes by royal lineages. In the book, you talk about this revelation of divine conception as being a critical occurrence for our time. Mm -hmm. You seem to be suggesting that perhaps we are ready for this to start occurring. 
whereas in fairly recent times, by the examples you gave, we weren't. What has changed, or what is that based upon? Let's say it's changing. In my understanding, based on my years of exploration as an academic researcher and a practitioner working in altered states of consciousness and receiving information, planet Earth is in a huge transition now. And it is timely that my book on Mary is coming out now. It's the more global unveiling of something that I've done on a smaller level through my previous two books and through lectures that I have given on this material about Mary and the details of what's in her infancy gospel. But now with this book, it's going to be a larger thing. And it's corresponding with a time when we are switching from third dimensional reality into fourth and fifth dimensional reality. So the fabric of our world is transitioning and we are more and more opening our consciousness to the understanding that all matter is light and there is a world beyond the three dimensions that we're more familiar with. There are intelligences beyond the veil that we can access. There is our own core of divinity and connection to source creator within us that is accessible. And we are going through this transition as a crisis, a breakup, a world cataclysm that has been known as a pandemic, but has many, many deeper levels to what's going on, on the positive side and the negative side. So it's starting to break up. Our systems are starting to break down. Our sense of reality is starting to break down. We've now been, you know, as of this recording, a year into this situation that may well last several more years. And there are differing beliefs about what's happening, what reality constitutes. And so we are in a transition into higher dimensional consciousness. It's not easy and it's painful for everyone. And some people are going to really embrace this and some people are not. They may leave this lifetime without having made that bridge. They may come back and do it again. And some of us who are here will be and are doing this right now such that we can access more of our seeing ability, our clairvoyant ability, our ability to be healers, our ability to know things and create different things in the material world that seem to be miracles and so forth. So as it's all breaking up, right, this unveiling of virgin birth is happening to show women the powers of their womb because it's not just Mary who could do this. It was priestesses, women who wanted to work at the very deepest level of spiritual initiation for thousands of years. And by extension, that's really any woman who wants to go deeper with her understanding of her mind-body-spirit and particularly her womb power. So while all of this has been happening with my book coming out, starting a decade ago, a Hindu master named Sri Kaleshwar, who's no longer with us, began sharing with the world public mystery teachings from what is known as the ancient palm leaf manuscripts from India and beyond, manuscripts, writings, drawings, mantras, yantras, literally written down in tiny lettering on palm leaves, which were the original paper 
you know, back then and in, the, in that location. And he has been able to gather many, many of these palm leaf manuscripts, and he pulled out various teachings from them, but one has been the Holy Womb Chakra material, telling us all about this other chakra, aside from the seven that are in the system that most of us know, and its powers, and what we can do with it, and what we need to do to clear it and purify it and amplify it, and how we can use it to, even in natural intimacy between men and women creating a child, how that can be used to create a higher level child than one would expect, how to conceive consciously. So all of this is happening at the same time, and this is what's getting us ready for being able to bring forth children that are higher vibrational right now. It's already been happening, many people say and observe, with what's called indigo children and crystal star seeds and so forth, children who have a lot of knowing, their channels to the stars and their higher consciousness are already open, they half the time are teachers of the adults around them, or they have memories of other lives and other times, and they're trying to put it all together. So there's a lot coming through now, coming through the human family, to also help release and eradicate some tampering that's gone on on the human plane and with the human genome well before the scientists started meddling in the laboratory. So we will be ready for divine birth in the sense of these priestesshoods where they were doing technologies, high-level technologies, as we open our awareness to the other planes of reality and to the womb power, and it's going to go hand-in-hand with the awakening and it's going to feed the awakening. Because as women, whether through natural sexual intercourse or through divine birth practices, bring in higher level beings, it's going to further, further, and further elevate and elevate and elevate humanity so that we can be restored to our original divine human blueprint. Many years ago, I had a teacher who said human beings were creatures who created void as a kind of emergent mystical property. And what you were just describing as the womb chakra sounds very much like that. Very much so. Because everyone has that point within them, regardless of gender identification. Although women have the structure of the womb, all people are born with the Nada Bindu point, which essentially is that point of creation. It's a portal. It's a white hole, black hole and it's an incubation point. It's a fractalized connection to Mother Divine's Holy Womb Chakra of all creation. Mm -hmm. Right, like a multi-dimensional zero point or portal. Yes, a zero point is not a Bindu point. A zero point portal within all of us. Mm -hmm. Connecting us to everything. That's right. And therefore, we have tremendous powers that have been cut off from us by these beings who have not wanted us to see this. And these beings being present here is one reason why Mother Mary wanted Jesus to come to the planet. She was seeing what was going on, and she had had many lifetimes herself witnessing what's been going on, practicing her austerities, you know, her practices and to gain her powers, until then she was finally divinely born of her mother Anne, which is what her infancy gospel states and describes, and I go through that talking about Anne's divine conception ritual to conceive Mary. And so 
these women, I surmise, were working in a lineage where they knew that they needed to up the game to really bring forth a high-level being who was going to sort of crack this thing that's been going on on the earth plane, kind of turning it into a, a kind of a hell realm, and who was going to break apart the energies. And he ended up going through a very intense form of the three-dimensional illusion, which was to be crucified. And he was able to release a lot of energy for this planet based on that. And, you know, there are mechanisms to his crucifixion and so forth that Sri Kaleshwar talks about and that I've taught about as well through Sri Kaleshwar's work. But Mother Mary was a very deliberate actor, planner of the advent of what we could call Christ consciousness to the planet. And this is in a completely non-dogmatic, non-programmed aspect of what Christ is all about and what Mary is all about. This is separate from any institutionalized church, although they took strands of it that could serve them and then kind of disappeared or distorted the rest in terms of the structure and hierarchy that grew around the church. So this revelation of Mary is all about bringing forth an energy onto the planet that then could become fractal and be accessed within that portal of every individual that you're talking about, that zero point, through our holy wombs, through our hearts, because the second coming of Christ is going to be within. It's not going to be the advent of some externalized savior figure. That work has already been done in order to break the negativity on the planet, and now it's time for all of us to individually do this work of heart cultivation, of womb cultivation, of third eye cultivation, of opening our seeing, opening our knowing, opening our healing abilities, understanding there's far more to the world than just the three-dimensional reality, and cultivating and growing our souls and releasing our karma from past lives that has accrued. So it just occurred to me that what you're talking about could also be a kind of divine conception or reconception of ourselves through this process. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, as I am talking about this book, I'm realizing this very thing, talking about it with you. Yesterday, I had another interview where it really started becoming clear. Oh, my gosh. Not only is the second coming within, but that means that it is the divine birth within. Okay? So we're now even transitioning from perhaps needing priestesses and women, although I'm sure that the outer and the inner go together, but we're all becoming those divine birth priestesses of our own soul. We're rebirthing our own souls. Men and women. All gender identification people. Mm -hmm. Yep. So now I think would be a really good time to talk about the essential elements that go into this divine conception process. Yeah. What I'll do is I'll give a few hints, okay, Tonio? Because I want people to read the book, right? So I'll be a little cagey. And why don't we give the title of the book again? Yes, it's called The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, Mary and the Lineage of Virgin Births, there being more than one of them. <laughs> <laughs> so let's look a little bit at Anne, Mary's mother in this gospel. And Anne was held for centuries as an integral part of the Christian tradition because of this gospel 
and also she's honored, believe it or not, in the Quran of Islam. So people on the planet have known about Anne, even though she kind of gets repressed in the New Testament. She's totally not there. She's written out. But in her divine conception of Mary, which, by the way, it's not the first time in their lineage that we have this experience, because it goes all the way back to Sarah, the biblical wife of Abraham, these founding parents of Judaism, and Sarah's miraculous conception of Isaac. So, basically, you see these divine birth stories around, but they're couched as and hidden as, oh, she was barren until she prayed hard enough and God was merciful to her, even though it was past her fertility years and gave her a baby. Well, you know, in the book I do a whole analysis of Sarah and how she was part of a priestesshood in ancient Mesopotamia and that aspects of what we find about her in the Hebrew Bible really resonate with specific divine birth priestess types that were in her time, essentially. So when we look at Anne's sacred ritual to conceive Mary, I'll just give like a little hint here. She puts on a wedding dress. (laughs) She puts on a wedding dress as preparation for this conception. And what is that all about? That telling us that she's going to go into an inner tantric marriage with herself. She's going to become the bride and bridegroom together. There's some sort of technique that these women know how to do, which is to become the androgyne, the male and the female, and self-impregnate. And then we have another little hint where she goes to the laurel tree and she sits there and she rests. And the laurel tree is famously known in the ancient world as the tree of the oracle, specifically at Delphi, which I referenced earlier. Delphi was the place where the most famous psychic of all operated, and originally it was sacred to the laurel, and it's thought that women may have chewed laurel leaves to experience open states of consciousness. So when they're telling us that Anne goes and sits by the laurel and rests, it's telling us that she's going into a trance state, probably with sacred medicine and maybe with laurel, you see. So sacred medicines could have been involved in this process, for example. So those are just a couple of little hints from Anne's ritual. And then if we look at Mary's ritual, the primary motif there that is a clue that an inner tantra is happening is that she is said to be weaving at the time of the conception, drawing two strands together. So this is referencing some technology she's using to be working with DNA and the light matter interface. And I go into an extensive discussion of that in the book and the various components of it, the words that are used to describe how she's pulling the thread and spinning the thread and, you know, all this and that and how it's referencing more her inner process, okay? And then I'll just say another thing about this It seems that sound and light technologies are used. And so people will have to go into the book to find out more what I mean by the sound technologies. But the light technology, you know, you're working with the quantum interface when you are having a divine conception. You have to be an incredibly high magician to be able to do this with your own body. 
And we know from Hindu and other traditions, these masters could do so much stuff with their body. There are stories and witnesses of these male masters cutting off their hands and reattaching them, dying and coming back, cutting off their heads and reattaching them. I mean, these miracle stories are legion, right? And there are contemporary people who have witnessed their masters do some of these things, put a bird's head back on its body, you know, things like that. And these are siddhic abilities, S-I-D-D-H-I. A siddhi is a miraculous ability, and a siddha is someone who is able to do these things. And, you know, deep in ancient India and contemporary India, we still have these masters. In the U.S., this is like a totally foreign concept, unless you've gone over there or studied any of this stuff. It just seems like totally crazy because everybody's involved in their, you know, Game Boys or whatever it is, right? Whereas <laughs> in India in ancient times, they were, you know, and now even still, there are people who are dedicated to the mystical. So these women were able to work with their bodies in these seemingly counter-biological ways, just like masters and siddhas throughout time have been able to do. And it also has to do with light, the use of light, and the conception through a flash of light. I referenced Lori earlier who had that direct experience of it. And we have the infancy gospel doesn't so much talk about a flash of light, but I talk about other aspects related to light, like heat and so forth. And I think, though, that the medieval and Renaissance painters, occasionally you'll see a ray of light coming into the womb of Mary, you know, things like that. So they're intuiting, they're connecting with the Akashic records, and they're intuiting what happened, you know, how she did this. Okay, ray of light from a heavenly host is coming into her body. She's working with that, and we have the presence in this infancy gospel, as in the canonical gospels of Gabriel, who is none other than an interdimensional helper to this process. He's the archangel, what we know of as the archangel, these high, high-level beings, who can assist with these interdimensional pregnancies in a positive way. So that's what I'll say about some of these techniques. People will have to read more, and then, you know, they're going to have to discern, because basically I think that people will be receiving some of the information directly themselves. And my hope and prayer and my admonition is that people use this carefully going on into the future, because... I've been shown that whatever I do or write about is 20 to 35 years ahead of its time. And that when I started getting this material, you know, back in 2001 and onward, I was shown that it was about several generations away before women would really be able to do this again in any appreciable way. And even then it might be just kind of getting started. But I think that one of the reasons why this has gone dormant on the planet is not all bad. I mean, to some degree, it has been veiled from us because some of these negative forces which Christ came to eradicate or, you know, help us with have not wanted women and anyone to know about this womb power. They want to be able to use it and harness it for themselves, but they don't want us to. So now, with this material, women are going to awaken in an even bigger way to their womb power and their possibilities. However, in antiquity, as I'm describing, some of these women succumbed to the negative use of it. And I think, unfortunately, Olympias was one of them. She was working with a negative interdimensional being in order to accomplish this, and we don't want that. We want ethics. You know, the degree of high vibration of the child that comes through 
is a reflection of the degree of the vibration of the woman who brings the child through. So we really need women of integrity, not women who are fooling around and trying to do various astral tricks or allowing themselves to be used for any of these purposes. We really want to do this right the next time en masse we we start getting involved in this. And you write about this practice of divine conception as being the highest city. Yes, bar none, because it's one thing to cut your hand off and put it on again. It's one thing to walk on water. It's another thing to bring a high-level being into your body and gestate it. So why are the children of divine birth such high beings? What's happening in the process that creates that level of a being? Right. So the being could be either positive valence or negative valence, depending on the intentions of the priestess. So with Olympias, you have Alexander the Great, who's kind of this questionable figure. With Mary, you have Jesus, who is a figure who's going to help break the back of the archonic grip on the planet. Okay. What goes into it is how these women were trained, by whom, the integrity level of the women, the spiritual adapthood and knowledge of these women. They were not acting alone. They were in lineages and in the mystery tradition of miraculous conception. I am able to decipher from the infancy gospel that Mary was working in a group of eight. She was one of eight women, and Elizabeth, her aunt, not her cousin, her aunt Elizabeth, conceived John the Baptist at the same time, in the same ritual, okay? So there is lineage knowledge that is passed down. There are ethics. There are teachings. You know, we hear that Mary is taught in her mother Anne's sanctuary until she's three years old by priestesses, virgins of the temple who come to teach her. And then Mary is given away to the temple by her parents at three years old to be taught by these women until she, you know, comes of age, and then there's a whole story around that. So these women are obviously knowing through their generational practices and understandings and passing on this knowledge, this magical knowledge. They're knowing how to communicate with astral beings, astral intelligences, star beings, what the Native Americans call star beings. The Native Americans, this is not so weird, you know, those Native Americans who still retain their esoteric knowledge, because there's a peacemaker story in the Haudenosaunee or Iroquois tradition. The peacemaker is said to have been divinely born in about 1200 of the Common Era. So we're talking about deep level knowledge that's passed on, probably orally and through the teaching of techniques and the new girl who is identified, her consciousness has to be reopened. She has to regain her knowledge. She's probably being reincarnated from a previous time, and she has to catch up with herself and gain all of her old knowledge. So Mary was trained because even though she came in a very high being who knew it all, she had to be stimulated into remembering it because when we incarnate into this plane, we go through the lake of lethe, forgetfulness. So you have to repenetrate that lake pull back in your information, and then go on. Even Jesus had that. So there's this deep-level knowledge that's passed on. You have to know how to communicate with the dimensions beyond this plane. You have to know how to communicate, perhaps, with certain star nations or soul pods or archangelic levels. There's a whole ecosystem beyond 
three dimensions that you have to deal with. And have pure intention. That's right. If you want to do it right, like Mary did. If you don't want to do it right, then you've got Rosemary's baby. (laughs) See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Which not only is it bringing in demonic seed, but the woman doesn't even know what the hell is going on. And that, I think, has been going on on this planet to bring in hybrids for the bidding of these beings that Christ came for the very purpose of helping us to say goodbye to. Now, at this time of COVID, which is plunging us into a tremendous crisis that if people know how to look, they're understanding what is going on at far deeper levels. Would you like to elaborate on that? Well, people who are in an initiation into fifth dimensional consciousness will understand the COVID crisis in a certain way that people who are not in that initiation will not understand. There seems to be an impasse between the two and an entrenchment that people who are in third dimension really want to keep digging into third dimension and being all third dimensional about it. And people who are in fifth dimension are saying, I'm going deeper into this fifth dimension. This is what I'm doing and this is what I'm not doing. And so if I speak what the fifth dimensional viewpoint is, it's going to rattle those who do not want to be in that initiation right now. You know, we are dealing with extreme polarity. So, you know, I don't know if we really want to go deeply into the specifics of this. I have a course called Accelerating into Fifth Dimensional Consciousness that is in process right now, and people can do it by going to the Seven Sisters Mystery School website page, and it'll be right there how you can register for it, what it's all about. I have a group of people who are going into the fifth dimensional initiation with that. I speak to it. I speak with them on their behalf, and we're working it together, like what do we need to do to kind of stay afloat during this time. That course will remain available on demand in replay even after it's concluded at the end of April. So there are many venues where people can hear this information if they want support, that they're seeing things in a different way, and they are feeling isolated or alone in what they're going through. You know, they can contact me. They can take the course. There's, you know, I can give resources to other Oracle women who are speaking about this now, and you can find your soul pod regarding it. So what do you think about that, Tony? Um, What you just were saying about moving toward fifth-dimensional consciousness made me think back to what you were saying about what Jesus accomplished you know, during his crucifixion by containing his 3D suffering that that he got to experience as a way of embodying that level of suffering in a way that... Now, I'm not Christian, so I, I don't have any background in any of this, but in a way that could, let's say, contain a lot of the suffering of the world, the 3D suffering of the world, so that perhaps others could also transcend the fixation on three-dimensional suffering? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you're just tuning into the Akashic Records with it. Sri Kaleshwar, who I alluded to earlier, the Hindu master who brought forth from the ancient palm leaves the information about the Holy Womb Chakra, along with that, brought forth information from those palm leaf manuscripts, as well as his own past life knowing of walking with the Holy Family. He describes the processes of preparation that Mother Mary did to conceive Jesus while she was gestating him, 
teaching him already in the womb. And then he describes processes, mantras, and things that Jesus learned, in particular going to ancient India, which has been something that many have discerned and others have written about. Kaleshwar says, yes, as an adolescent or young person, he went over to India and he learned from the highest masters because he had to regain or he had to gain knowledge. Kaleshwar says this was Jesus' first incarnation. He was a pure soul, but he had to work all the knowledge into three-dimensional reality so that he could make it work. And then what Kaleshwar says is that during the crucifixion, there was a tremendous series of yogas, basically ancient technologies, that both Jesus and Mary, and probably Mary Magdalene, were also doing at that time. And yes, Jesus was containing tremendous forces and energies through his body, but he was doing it in a way that was like a master, like part of him, he left, he took his soul out of his body, he only left a little piece of his soul in, you know, we're talking about things like Atma Kandana Yoga and Parakaya Pravesh, which is bringing a body, a dead body back to life. Mary knew how to do that. And she used her holy womb powers to help him with his crucifixion and particularly his resurrection, his reconstitution. But the forces of what was going on during the crucifixion and what Jesus was coursing through his body, mind, spirit on behalf of humanity was, as you're saying, you know, absolutely tremendous and for the benefit of humanity. And so now, at this momentous time, in 2021, April 6th, as this book is being released, with some of the codes about giving validity to the fact that this being who walked the earth could indeed have been divinely born, and more than that, it was orchestrated and planned by the women. That is a huge piece of us connecting and returning to our own Christed consciousness and becoming that fractal, reborn being for which Jesus and Mary are the templates, radiating the sacred heart, having the open vision, having the hands that heal, the womb that conceives an advanced being, etc. Right? So I'll just pause there and see how that's sitting with you. Oh, that sits totally fine with me. And other key elements in this is, you just alluded to, divine love and humility. That's right. And I talk about this in the book. Both Anne and Mary have these nadir points, these low points, where they're rendered completely humble, almost to the point where they forget about or doubt their own abilities. And this is kind of like the famous point of Jesus on the cross where he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's almost like every great master has to get to the place of total humility where you don't even feel like you have your powers anymore. You don't even feel divine anymore. You don't even know if there is a divine, right? You get to that low, low point. And for Anne, that's the turning point, and she's able to conceive when she sees herself as lower than even the birds who can freely reproduce. That's an aspect of the zero point. We have to make the crossover. That's, that's right, you know. This works on so many esoteric levels, right? Mm-hmm. And for Mary, the humbling comes a bit afterward where she says, who am I that this is to happen to me? 
And it's that extreme humility, you know, where you forget that you are a god. These two women who were goddesses incarnate, they forget that they're a god. They feel even lower than, you know, the regular old animals walking around, right? And so a lot of us right now are going through zero-point critical initiation where everything's dissolving, right? There are those of us who are losing jobs, we're losing relationships because of differences of worldview, we're losing our world as it was, where we don't even know if we're going to be able to walk around freely anymore without people kind of holding a gun to our head about that we have to do certain things or we won't be admitted into the halls of society anymore. That's a pretty critical you know, place of ego death, let's say. Mm-hmm. A kind of initiation. It is a very big initiation. It perhaps could help people to understand that we are in an initiation and we are not simply in a holding pattern until things can go back to normal. And it's happening on many levels. When you talk about this, use this term, incension, there's this New Age trope of ascension, which which has a very ambivalent kind of a thing where some people think that, you know, it's a transcendent escape from reality, from the, the suffering of reality, whereas the true initiation is to learn to contain all of it. That's right. In initiation, you go into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't get away with or from anything. And that's the thing. People think it's all romantic to go through an initiation or become a priest or priestess or a you know spiritual this or that. It's like, yeah, all right, here's five minutes of it. And it's like you'll be running in the other direction unless you know you're feeling really compelled to go through with it. Yes, exactly. 3D suffering is nothing to shake a stick at. That's right. I mean, the 3D suffering is part of the initiation, and then the rest of it is really on the psychic domain, and it's even more excruciating than anything 3D, because relatively speaking, 3D, we're all kind of still comfy right now. These initiations are going in on the inner plane, the psychic warfare between people, people throwing energy at each other, energies coming through people, people becoming spokespeople for programmed information. You know what I mean? It's like there is a lot going on on so many dimensional levels right now. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about all of that as well, that to my understanding, it's really ignorance that allows in dark energies and dark effects, that we cannot be affected by things unless we somehow lay ourselves open to them. And ignorance is a prime cause of pretty much all suffering, isn't it? That's right. And we're encouraged to be ignorant by these beings who benefit from our ignorance because they can then get around dictates of cosmic law respecting free will and sovereignty. And it becomes a manipulated situation where we accept and go down the path of our own peril without realizing that we're agreeing to it. And this is the awakening that many of us are coming to now, like, whoa, wait a second, we're lemmings going over the, I'm going over here, I'm not going down over that cliff. Now, I've thought of all this as being more metaphorical 
manifestations of shadow sides of humanity and ourselves and not outward manifestations of evil unless through some, let's say, dark city, we create images or apparitions or things like that? Well, you know, where I am with it is both and. It's out there and it's in here. Because on the deepest esoteric level, those beings who are pulling those puppet strings share DNA with us because of the incursions and the manipulations. So they are us. So you're talking about otherworldly or other dimensional mm-hmm. sources of mm-hmm. some sort of existence. That's right, whose halls reside right within our DNA. Uh-huh. So it is our own shadow, and it is an exterior force at the same time, and that's what we're grappling with and coming to awareness of now, those of us who are in that level of initiation. Right, and getting back to that incension thing that this is a a holistic, unified universe, and, and all things are interconnected. And, um, that's right. And whatever there is in other parts of the universe or other dimensions of this universe, we are inextricably connected to all of it in some ways. That's right. Which is why my comedy beings on the other side, Gloria and Sylvia, say the innie is the outie and the outie is the innie. (laughs) Yep. And there ain't no doing anything about it. That's right. And, you know, bringing it back to Jesus and Mary... I believe they understood this. This is why the whole Christed enterprise was created. This is why the Christed being was brought into incarnation, co-created through Mother Mary and her unification with Mother Divine, because they knew that this planet had been infested and needed to be helped along. There are astral histories that have been completely obscured to us, and rewritten and dumbed down and redirected into various religious stories that only have either part of the picture or a completely distorted picture. And now a lot of people on the planet are awakening to what's in the Akasha about what really happened. And, you know, in the book, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, in that infancy gospel of James, which originally was called Birth of Mary, while pregnant and traveling across the desert with Joseph, because they've had to go to the census and got a census taken, which is the contact tracing of people, you know, they are going across the desert, and Mary is pregnant, and she has this vision of two people before her, one that is wailing and gnashing its teeth and in misery and warfare and so forth, and the other that is happy and elated and You know, this is basically, she's seeing a vision of how Jesus' message is going to be seen and the duality, the extreme duality that's going to be increasing on the planet and that, you know, in a way, it's prefiguring, holy crap, we're going to bring in this really big being. We hope for the best, but wow, what ended up happening? The demons from hell attached themselves to the situation to create a horrific, traumatic crucifixion experience. And they made lemonade out of lemons, but it wasn't fun for any of them. And they had to go through the actual three-dimensional human suffering 
Mary especially, and it was not easy for them in their darkest moments. So I begin to hint at some of this through this infancy gospel and what I say about it. You see, I use a really penetrating hermeneutical lens and intuition to be able to bring forth further information to mine it for its riches that, you know, I think it is a mystical document for people to be able to appreciate it. This James, who wrote it, was actually the son of Joseph, the guardian of Mary, by a previous marriage. He was a widower. So this James could well be an eyewitness to these things that went on. And that's why it's such an important gospel, because it's so close to the bone of what happened. Of course, then the religious officials and so forth, (laughs) you know, they debate it. But the point is, the cat is getting out of the bag because it makes complete sense that Mary and her lineage would have been involved in this work. And, you know, simultaneously, while I was doing all this work with this book, on the academic level, Claire Hartsong, a very fine channeler, was channeling two books, Anna, Grandmother of Jesus, and Anna, Voice of the Magdalene, where she was getting some of the very same stuff that I'm getting that these people were trained in lineages of divine birth. So we're starting to tap into this information now in a very, very big way. And I think that this book will give a lot more people a key to a lock or permission to start looking and considering alternatives, just the way that over the past 30 years, people have started looking at Magdalene anew. All the books and movies, The Da Vinci Code and so forth, that have been lifting the veil on Magdalene and saying, whoa, she wasn't a prostitute. She was the companion of Jesus. She was a high-level adept who was given special teachings that some of the other disciples were jealous about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to ask you what you could tell us about her, because she was considered to be the foremost among Jesus' disciples and the only one who truly understood his teachings. And she actually gave birth to a child after Mm -hmm. Jesus died. That's right. That's right. You know, you find that material in what's sometimes called the Gnostic Gospels, like there's a gospel called the Gospel of Mary, and the Mary there is identified as Mary Magdalene by most people who read that and understand it. Then you've got the Gospel of Philip and Pistis Sophia, different Gospels, where it's clear that Magdalene, and then there was a fragment that came out a number of years ago that I think that it outright states that either Jesus was married or they were married or something like that. Anyway, you begin seeing a very different relationship between the two of them. And yes, Magdalene was the highest level of those apostles. Now, Mary was the highest of all. She was the one who ran the early Christian enterprise, so to speak, if you want to call it that. She was the mother of that ship. She taught Magdalene also. And she was the mentor to a lot of these people that she would send out to other parts of the world. That material is going to be in my course called the Mother Mary Mystery Teaching. So that's something else that people can enjoy at Seven Sisters Mystery School now on demand, along with the Holy Womb Chakra Teaching, where I provide the background and the prayers, the mantras, and the sacred drawings that people can use to start elevating and purifying their their wombs and also conceiving divine children with men. So this Magdalene was able to get Jesus at a very high esoteric level. And that's what we find in her gospel, the Gospel of Mary. And 
so yeah, you know, the original church should have been based on her and Mother Mary, but what happened, it came to be based on Peter, who was a hothead, who was jealous of Magdalene, and that's what you get in patriarchy, in a corrupt patriarchy that is being governed by negative beings. Right. You end up with the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and whatever happened to the Mother. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, over the last 30 years, people have been seeing mother-daughter, you know, angelic presence, or grandmother-mother-daughter, right? The other triple configurations. The missing counterpart to the father, to the son, to the husband. The mother is the one who governs everything, and that, that of course, had to be dismantled and veiled by these beings if they were going to get their way on this planet, and so that's what we've been dealing with. Right, and during some of the witch hunts in medieval times, they systematically went after the female lineages, the daughters, the mothers, and the grandmothers, systemically. They did, and, you know, Brian Murarescu, who I think you interviewed as well, did you? Yeah. The Immortality Key? Yeah. It's very poignant in one part of his book where he talks about the Vatican archives that he uncovered with the names of some of these women. Mm Mm-hmm particularly in Italy, I mean, it gets really real when you start hearing these names and how they were related. That whole witch hunting is, again, a total demonic reversal, because what it said, and this is the mind f- that these beings do, working through institutions, right? They say, no, you're evil, so we're going to come after you, because you're practicing demonic things, but meanwhile, what they're doing is they're carrying a demonic energy, they're creating trauma and carnage for these women and their children who get completely traumatized, such that we remember it in our DNA, and women to this day are afraid to speak out with esoteric knowledge. It goes into the trauma field of everyone. They went after indigenous peoples all over the world. They go after indigenous wise people. They go after portals and locations on the planet. They go after forests and decimate them. The trees are conduits to this information. And that helps eradicate the communication system to the stars. And they put in false communication systems based on 5G grids and so forth and so on. All the other shenanigans that are going on. So it's interesting that a lot of people are running out of the cities, which Sasha Stone says they're kill grids. So this is what's going on, present-day time, and this is very interesting that, you know, this timing of this book coming out, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, is happening now in the midst of this entire crisis to help wake people up to the Holy Womb Chakra, wisdom, energy, and possibility. Because women need to get busy with their wombs again on a lot of levels. And Mary is a master and a guide for this. She's not an impossible height that no one can achieve. She's a mentor. So this womb chakra, to me, sounds like it's like the point of our, or the source of our spiritual immunity. And that the most real pandemic is something that's been going on on this planet for millennia. That's right. Well put. You know, in this whole craziness, we've even forgotten that simply the immune system is the real source of immunity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but yes, I mean, we're moving deeper into the womb, realizing the layers and levels of the womb as healer, the womb as source. 
and the spiritual immunity that it conveys to us transcends the 3D consciousness level so that whatever happens at this level is just part of our overall evolution. That's right. And that there are worse things than death, mm-hmm. like enslavement. And we really need to look at that picture going psychic, on right now. Psychic enslavement, which is what predominates for most of humanity at this point. Especially, and it's ratcheting up more and more. And it's really interesting how so many people are going asleep. Mm-hmm. Invasion of the body snatchers, one after another. Yep, exactly. This book is a timely message for now. Mm-hmm. It's important to go look at what was Mary doing? What was Anne doing? What were the men around them doing? How were the men in relation to these women? What was their role? I talk about that in a big way, because men and women really need to work together. Mm-hmm. Yes. We all have to work together, ultimately. That's right. Even those that are still in conflict. That's right. And, you know, the conflict is providing a very interesting initiation point for many people, you know, especially those of us who think we're all, you know, high and mighty, love and light, and then someone disagrees with us about COVID, and it's like, whoa, you know, the simplest things go out the window. I mean, I've been noticing this for months, and in myself and in others, and it's like, well, this is part of the high-level initiation for those who do want 5D, the fifth dimension. To be able to contain it all. Yeah which isn't easy for a brainwashed species. No, no, it is not. And it's not easy even for those awakening who then are presented with fear pictures around whether they're going to have their first chakra needs met of food, shelter, and belonging. Right. No matter how high we might be at any point, we are still plagued by these more base concerns and impulses. Yeah, and the fear pictures that start getting pressured out into the airwaves around it, because half the time it's the fear pictures that are controlling people rather than the actual realities. Right, exactly, because those are just pictures anyway. Pictures are not reality. Yeah. And nowadays, pictures can all be manipulated. As they are. Mm-hmm. More and more. And more and more. It's a wild and crazy world we live in today. It's really wild, and enter Mother Mary... She couldn't be coming at a better time, don't you think? And it's interesting how Mary is recognized all over the world as an avatar of the Divine Mother or Great Goddess and is esteemed even over her son. Yeah. And the the biblical notion of God. And that was something I wanted to ask you about. What is the relationship between the God of the Bible in relation to the Divine Feminine? Well, you know, I think by the time you get that Bible, you're getting some very interesting types of beings that are being presented as gods. And what you do notice if you look in the annals of that chronicle, the divine feminine is consistently being smashed, dismantled, denigrated. Her venerators and practitioners are being dismissed, killed, and so It's a real strong patriarchal program that is being described in that book. So there's not much room for the mother at all there. And so what's been happening over the last 30, 40 
plus years is the awakening of everyone to the Akashic Records and the feminine that is still there and the realization that we really need to revisit some of these ancient books. Do we want this? Don't we want this? What is good about it? What isn't? What is a complete distortion? What isn't? And what do we need to really resurrect? I mean, it's all about resurrection. And the source of that resurrection is inside of each one of us. That's what it's coming to in this contemporary age. It's another frontier. Mm -hmm. Yep, the ultimate frontier. (laughs) (laughs) I think. I was going to say the final frontier, but then it's like, who knows, right? (laughs) Right, who knows. But for us right now, it's, it's the ultimate. Feels like it. It's the deepest yeah. frontier, the most essential frontier. It is. You know, I so appreciate your questions because I've been having a lot of interviews and I, I can tell when people are tapped into this stream and when they're not. And when they are, our conversation goes exponentially deep. And I feel that yours and mine has and that those who are either on the cusp of awakening or who are already working in the milieu of the fifth dimensional timeline are going to appreciate this. So... Tell us more about your Seven Sisters Mystery School and how people can find out more about your work and to access more of this information. Yes, great. So people can go to sevensistersmysteryschool.com. The seven is spelled out, S-E-V-E-N. And you'll see there a host of things, some of the courses I talked about that are available, the Mother Mary Mystery Teachings, the Holy Womb Chakra Teachings, I have some backgrounder that goes into the ancient Greek divine birth material. It's called the Divine Birth Mysteries Audio Series. I have free courses, you know, various things that are coming up. People can work with me one-on-one privately. Many people who are, you know, feeling the vibration and saying, okay, I think that woman can help me for a little while. (laughs) They work with me for a while on matters of their own incension sacred career, you know, trying to do good and do well at the same time, etc. So there's lots of things and there's constant things coming up. I highly recommend that people go there and check it out. There's other courses besides, which I haven't even mentioned, an, an oracle training that I've got coming up for people who want to be able to see on a more consistent basis and they want a tool and a training and backgrounder for how to do it with ethics. I work with the fairy realm, the fae, the subtle being realm, I have a course on that and various offerings in that regard as well. And as I said, the Accelerating into Fifth Dimensional Consciousness course that is currently live and will be in replay if you miss it. So I welcome people to come to the site and talk to us. And I really am encouraging people to purchase the book, The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, Mary and the Lineage of Virgin Birth. And we are encouraging some interactivity at the end of each chapter I pose some questions basically saying, hey, you know, what are you thinking? What are you feeling about all that you're hearing? How is this affecting you? Write to us at the Seven Sisters Mystery School Facebook page. So that will be an open door for people to communicate with me and others in a public way. And they can always communicate privately through the link for contact on the webpage. Mm -hmm. And many people feel very isolated out there and don't have anyone that they can talk to about things on this level. That's right. And it's really important to find our soul pods because sometimes they're not in our neighborhoods or families. And a lot of us are having to go across states, across countries to find our kin. And 
luckily we're able to do that now. So I say take advantage of that to the hilt and my courses are one way of doing that. You know, I'm going to be having something coming up starting May 12th. I believe I'm calling it the Mother Mary Love and Empowerment Circle, where it's just going to be people coming once a week to experience two long meditations and some conversation from me to get into that love energy of Mother Mary. We're going to bring in her energy so that people can simply have a refuge, an oasis, and a place where two or more gather of our soul pod. And, you know, that's for anybody, whether you feel you're in the fifth dimensional initiation or not, whatever your views, you can come and be united with Mother Mary because that's what it's all about. She, they are about unification of opposites and creating bridges despite differences and diversity. They can also sign up for my weekly newsletter and be kept abreast of when that's going to be happening. I love that notion of Mother Mary empowerment. In the uh-huh. Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they have empowerments with their bodhisattvas who are basically on that level. And it's wow. a very, very powerful way of incepting and re-empowering our own inner connection. Wow. Thank you for pointing that out because, you know, I just kind of go by instinct and intuition or what I'm receiving and connecting with Mother Mary and what I sense people are wanting. And, yeah, I think we need a place where, you know, in the Western tradition, so to speak, Mother Mary can be that transmitter of empowerment to people. So I'm going to really amplify that aspect in this circle that I'll be offering. Well, it's been a great pleasure connecting with you. I've enjoyed this so much. Oh, Antonio, thank you. And for me, too, I have so appreciated your questions. And as I said, you know, your energy, I can just feel we are in this quantum entanglement in a really good way. My guest has been Marguerite Mary Rigolosio. She's the foremost authority on the history of virgin birth. She's a scholar and priestess. She's taught graduate and undergraduate courses in both the U.S. and the U.K., and she's the founding director of the Seven Sisters Mystery School, which is dedicated to restoring knowledge about the sacred feminine and empowering people on their own spiritual journeys. And she's the author of The Mystery Tradition of Miraculous Conception, Mary and the Lineage of Virgin Births. Again, Marguerite, thank you so much. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, Tonio. And that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Thank you so much for listening. If you missed any of the show or would like to hear it again, you can find all Magical Mystery Tour shows at soundcloud.com slash WGDR. And until next time, take good care of yourselves and each other. (laughs) 